Amen. Friends, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. It is so beautiful to be here in this garden service outside on this beautiful day and kick off our sermon series for the parables of Jesus. Um, and uh, if you notice, we're switching the order a bit. The prayers of the people will come following the sermon. Um, so not, so hope you're, you're not too confused. Um, and please, I welcome you now to join me in prayer. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak through us. Spirit of the living God, speak in spite of us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in whose name we pray, amen. Now, Dr. McDonald has spoken many times about farms. In fact, he owns one. So I don't know if I've told you this story, but before seminary, uh, I actually got to work on a farm. Uh, it, was, uh, it was in New Yaka, Oklahoma. It was about three and a half months. And I was an intern on this farm of a friend of a friend's, about 80 acres called New Yaka Natural Farm, just 30 minutes outside of Oak Mulgee and about 90 minutes outside of Tulsa, for those of you familiar with Oklahoma. It was an organic farm that helped start the slow food movement as contrasted to the fast food industry, growing mostly fruit, vegetables, flowers, and herbs, and chickens for their eggs. We had six large farm dogs, a mixture of breeds, who helped us keep coyotes away as long as we fed them. At dawn's first light, we awoke every day to do weeding and check on irrigation and uh, add some fertilizer here and there and check on the plantings and collect the eggs and other daily chores. And of course, being raised in suburban New Jersey, that means I was uh, pecked at many times by the chickens as they tricked me to say, no, you can just put your hand right in there, no problem. <laughs> then on Wednesday and Fridays, we went out to Tulsa for a farmer's market. And up to that point, if you can believe it, I had never heard of a farmer's market. And so I show up, and I've got to say, it was one of the most beautiful experiences, the whole thing, the farm and, uh, and the farmer's market. But it was also an array of some of the strangest people I had ever met. These are people who made all their own lotions and soaps. This is long before it was cool, right? They made all their own clothing. They had debates about what was more organic and what was fair trade and truly eco-friendly and who used less carbon than anyone else. And I've got to say, it was weird to say the least. One of the weird things I remember seeing was they would sell fruits and vegetables that all looked funny. They had spots on them. I thought, no one's going to buy these because back in New Jersey, you didn't buy them at the Acme or Stop and Shop and, or here at Michigan, you, you don't buy them at Kroger's. You find the best fruit, the best vegetable, spotless, the right shape, the right size, the red, bright red tomato, the perfect watermelon but not at this farmer's market. 
No, these were fruit and vegetables and herbs of all kind that had spots and funny shapes, but all the vendors would tell you, don't worry about that. It's what's on the inside that counts. These are gonna be tasty. And you know what? They were right. I've never tasted fruit and vegetables like this unless it's been at a farm or a farmer's market. It was so good, so fulfilling, so joyful, something recalling the Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, today's parable about a fig tree speaks of repentance and imminent judgment, and Jesus uses this image, this image of the fruit, the fig. Now, this idea of fruitfulness is found throughout the Gospels, but especially in the Gospel of Luke. You recall John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus is following up this parable after people are asking him about the judgment and destruction of the people who've just recently died and wondering, are they suffering from God's punishment? But Jesus says, no. However, Jesus uses those circumstances to say, if you do not repent, however, you will perish like them. Now, the way Jesus says it is he doesn't mean that if you repent, you will never suffer any kind of calamity again, but rather there is an eternal calamity awaiting us if we do not repent, that we miss out on God's grace. Now, this theme of fruitfulness is seen again in the, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus states that the good tree produces good fruit, and a good person produces good from the goodness of their heart, which is a gift of God. And as Sarah just explained with the children in Luke 8, Jesus explains that those with good hearts hear the word of God and hold fast to it and patiently produce fruit. This would have been important to Luke's listeners, the early Christian community, to understand what difference does it make that we have heard the gospel? What actual change can people see in our lives because Jesus is present? You see, from the outside, maybe even from far away, the fig tree looked just fine. Why else would you go looking for fruit? But on the Inside, that is, when you looked more closely, there was no fruit to speak of. There were no results that came out of the watering and the fertilizing and the maintenance. There was nothing happening, nothing alive, nothing growing. And so Luke wants to tell his community, the followers of Jesus and those seeking to learn more about Jesus, that we must grow in our faith. Now, this was a subject of intense debate in the early Christian community. Well, if we're saved by grace, we don't have to do anything, right? Paul speaks to this. There's basically two large factions. One says, well, now that we've been saved, we better follow the law to the T. We better not be just Jewish, but super Jewish. But there was another group that said, but if we've been saved by grace through faith, why should we do anything at all? Why change in the least? Scripture today reminds us 
that while it is the grace of God, this is the gift of our salvation, effort is still called from us. We are still called to be open to the grace of God. We are called to, as you've heard Dr. McDonald speak of before, to metanoia, to a change, a repentance. Now this Greek word metanoia comes from, is a translation of a Hebrew word shuv, which means to return or to come home and has several meanings just like metanoia in Greek. And so this is a calling away from our own paths of self-interest and self-destruction and to the way of Jesus. Yes, it is true we are not saved by works, but by sheer grace, as Ephesians tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Or as one author puts it, We are saved by faith, yes, but not by a fruitless faith. No, faith, a gift of God, the work of the Spirit, produces something in us. This is why I chose our second reading of Galatians 5, which tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. Now listen for the word of God. Luke 13 At that time, there was some present who told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because of these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the others? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Skipping to verse six. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. In Galatians 5, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so you see the connections made there between repentance and fruit, the harvest that God is collecting. And we are not called to a works righteousness, but to the effort called in our faith. In fact, Paul makes this contrast in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh, that is the machinations, the things we do on our own, out of our own strength and our own wisdom. But by contrast, the fruit of the spirit. You see, it's not our fruit. We don't make it. It is produced in us. 
Look at what Jesus is referencing in the parable of the fig tree and Paul here in Galatians 5. This is organic work. It's not instantaneous. It's not overnight. It's not if you follow these four things and say these five, four formulas and, and say this correct prayer and believe this exact doctrine, all of it changes overnight. No, this is gradual. This is the spirit alive in us, making us alive. We are not to be machines that simply memorize doctrine and scripture. We are to be living beings called alive into the world of the living God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This fruit is produced in us by the power of the Spirit. So it's gradual, it's organic. We don't just make it happen like go and be faithful or go and just be gentle, go and be patient. This is something that happens to us over time, over circumstances and not by our own strength, but by the power of the spirit. Now in the early church, now in the early church, there were those who believed that this parable was talking about referencing the Torah when it said, it's been three years, but we'll give it a fourth year, a chance of this, to this fig tree to produce fruit. That it was talking about the mercy and goodness of the Lord up to the third and fourth generation. That Jesus was warning Israel and believers of all kinds, for the fig tree was often a symbol of Israel and her people, that they were still, they still had time to change and to repent. But the question for all of us and all of our hearts should be, how do we change? There's been a lot of research about how we change, how you develop hobbies and disciplines and habits and how those actually make a difference in our lives. It turns out that it's not the goals that we set, it's not how hard we work, but it's the habits we form and the discipline that comes out of it that actually makes a difference in our lives. But how do we do that without confusing it, confusing it with works righteousness and instead see it as an effort undergirded by the grace of God? One author writes that, Maybe you should start by asking your loved ones, have I changed? Am I more patient than I was? Am I gentler? Do I have more self-control? Am I more generous? Do I have more peace, more joy, more love in my life? Now, after they tell you, of course, of course, of course, there might be that one moment where they say, well, but there was this one time, this one moment. Then the author says, after you've asked them, ask those you work with, go to school with, those you travel with, those in traffic with you. Am I more patient? Am I gentler? Do I have more self-control, more joy, more peace, more love? It's not because we will be judged on the hardest days. It's not because we'll be judged when we're at our worst but rather we will be judged on our openness to the grace of God to be changed, to allow the Spirit to produce fruit 
in us, without which we will never change in any meaningful way or certainly not change for long. You see, what I learned at the farm and at the farmer's market is there's a lot of messy work behind producing fruit. It takes time. It's hard. Scripture quoted even today, manure, not something that brings to mind the sweet aromas of our earth. It's messy. It's stinky. It's hard. This is the work of our faith. It's not easy by any means. It's not a formula. It's not if you just always say and memorize the right thing, the right place at the right time. It is rather if the Spirit is rightly doing the work in you and producing fruit. So after you've asked your loved ones, after you've asked those around you if you have in fact changed, maybe it's worth asking yourself in prayer, in those honest, quiet moments, am I really different or am I just the same? You see, because the gift of grace is that you can be a jerk and a Christian at the same time. You just can't be the same jerk. You can't just be the same impatient person, the same person who lacks self-control, the same person without peace, the same person. Yes, we are called just as we are, but love refuses to leave us like that to leave us to our own devices, to leave us to our self-destructive paths. Love calls us to a new way, metanoia, to repentance, to change our direction, to open ourselves up to the messy but beautiful production of fruit in us by the sheer grace of God. So have you changed? Are you being changed? Open to the Spirit, friends. I believe we are being changed every time we open ourselves up to forgiveness. Open ourselves up to the forgiveness of God and also the forgiveness for others, even ourselves. Each moment where we wait just a little longer than we did before, patience. Each moment where we look for the kinder word instead of the hurtful one, just a little kinder. Each moment where we think the time and expertise and money we have can be spent elsewhere. Instead, we think of how we could be just a little more generous because we're responding to the grace of God seen most fully alive in Jesus Christ. You see, in the early church, in this parable, the gardener was seen as Jesus. Jesus tending the garden. The same Jesus who will be confused as the gardener by Mary Magdalene. The same Jesus who will pray in the garden of Gethsemane. The same Jesus that will allude to the garden of Eden. This same Jesus that will call to mind that future vision of a garden, a renewed, a redeemed, a restored garden more glorious than ever before. This Jesus is tending our garden. Will we let him? Will we invite him in? 
will we see in him the perfect reflection of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are not the works of just human beings in their own strength and wisdom. These are the fruit of the Spirit. And notice that in Galatians 5, one is plural, works, and the other, singular, fruit. Almost as if Paul is telling us, these gifts go together. You can't have patience without love. You can't have joy without love. You can't have self-control and faithfulness and kindness without love. It all comes from the source, for God is love. And so I ask again, have you changed? Are you letting the Spirit produce fruit in you that you might be changed so that others might see the goodness of God? For as G.K. Chesterton once said, the greatest argument of Christ against Christianity are Christians. I'll let that sink in. But the greatest witnesses, therefore, are the lives who've been changed and transformed by the gospel. Are you changed? Are you being changed? Are you open to it? May it be so. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.